Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing the much-talked-about, much-buzzworthy uh, film, Nomadland. It has recently swept a lot of the major awards at the Golden Globes, and we are so excited to discuss it today. And we are joined by a very special guest who you all have probably heard on the podcast in the past, Kevin from Theophany. Kevin, do you want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Um, my name's Kevin. I'm really happy to be back. I think that uh, if Nomadland wins Best Picture, that means I will have been on for the episodes for the last two Best Pictures, which makes me feel really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love to write about homelessness uh, and film and how each of those intersect with faith. So as you can see, uh, this movie really uh, intersects with a lot of my interests. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to hear some of your thoughts about this film and the decisions it makes on how it portrays some of these components, given that your background. So thank you for joining us in this conversation. All right, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Sure. After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Okay. And in strategic whimsy experiment tradition, we always start off with our one-sentence summaries that we've written for Nomadland. So, Kevin, do you want to kick us off with your one-sentence summary? Sure thing. Um, I thought a lot about mine. Um, So, here it is. There is both beauty and tragedy in taking charge of your own displacement. So good. Yes. Yeah, I think you touched on something that is kind of woven into mine as well and something that I think is pretty unique about this film, the, the duality that it is able to constantly hold together. Sarah, what was your one-sentence summary? Oh, gosh. Now I'm going to feel bad because you guys both went, like, profound and serious, <laughs> and I went stupid. Oh, man, I didn't read the room. Uh, my summary is a lesson in the importance of being able to change a tire. I like it. It's great. It's great. The movie also has a lot of like kind of subtle comedy to it. So I think it should be represented in our summaries. It's fitting. Okay. My summary was visual poetry that holds so many layered emotions together at once in the quiet moments of a single woman's life. Nice. Yep. That captures it really well. Okay, so let's start off with what were your initial thoughts of Nomadland? I guess I'll go first. Uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I uh, I was really taken with this film. Um, obviously, there's so much buzz um, coming out, and there was also a lot of wondering about whether or not anyone was going to be able to see this film <laughs> because of... Uh, how 2020 happened and um, I live in LA so movie theaters have not opened back up yet it's gonna be a while before they do and so um, it it really didn't seem like uh, anyone was gonna get to see this and a number of other um, of the indie movies that didn't find a streaming home immediately Uh, and then it was announced that Hulu was gonna pick it up so uh, really excited to have seen it, but came in with a lot of expectation. Uh, and for me, it definitely it met all that in a really quiet way. Uh, I really resonate with a lot of what this movie is doing. Um, as somebody who works in homeless services, there's a lot of overlap. Um, this is obviously not a, a traditional picture of, of homelessness, um, but there's so much in common. Um, I'm I'm really excited to dig into it all with you, uh, but it was just really uh, really beautiful, really well shot, well acted, um, especially on Frances McDormand's part because she's one of the only <laughs> real actors in this movie. Um, 
but it's a testament that she feels completely at home uh, in this setting. Yeah, I, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's a a beautiful film. It's so quiet and intimate and just it, it's kind of fun to be able to just kind of like join this woman in her life for what a year and just kind of go th- on the journey with her. Like I feel like so many films are like no, we need to achieve an objective, but this was just we're just going to hang out with you along for the ride. Um and I really, really liked that component to it. Um, I really connected with um, the the story of this. And um, like I, I grew up in southern Arizona. So a lot of those scenes where they were, you know, in Arizona in the middle of the desert, like that's around where I grew up. And I'm used to those kind of settings and interacting with those kind of people. And so even watching this movie kind of gave me a deeper appreciation for how I was raised. I did live in a home. I was not a nomad as a kid, but just like that part of the country with that population, um, it just gave me a new appreciation for people that I think I didn't appreciate when I was younger. Um, So I didn't expect that out of this film, but technically it's beautiful. I was immersed in the story. Um, and it was just such a quiet, intimate film. And that's what I find myself wanting more and more these days. So this really like checked all the boxes for me. Yeah. Plus one on everything you both have said. And I think this, this film, um, reminds us so much on what it means to be human and what it means to connect with others. And just the, the, the reminder, I think that we needed in this kind of nutty year and, um, for so many people, um, there's a lot that has been lost in this past year. And the way that this film holds together, the, the joy of, um, life and and remembering and honoring those that we have lost and also the tragedy of it all like it's it's all woven together in this really beautiful and nuanced way um and so i think in this this film just feels also very timely for the year that we've had and a lot of the loss that has been experienced and um how much this film is able to communicate without uh quote unquote, a lot happening. I really appreciate it a lot. I think sometimes um, films feel the need to have a a clear plot and a clear message with, you know, the, the traditional structures that we see. And this film is just interested in inviting us to spend time with another human and the people that she encounters and um, forms relationships with. And I, lo- I appreciate it that this film knows itself well and continues to keep that through to the end and doesn't feel the need to have some kind of ending or or closing section of this. It, it truly knows itself well. And so um, there's some other really interesting details about this film, Kevin, that you mentioned around like the other people that um, Fern encounters and the fact that a lot of them are playing themselves and uh, were featured in the book that this film was based on and are now part of this film like I, I felt like I was watching a, a a documentary of sorts as as I was um, experiencing this film and I feel like learning that detail after watching this film I was like yes that makes a lot of sense to me that the the way that they're presented and the way we spend time with them for some reason just felt so unscripted and just felt very raw and real yeah, there's so much nuance here that I think was really needed in 2020 or 2021 or this chunk of time that uh, we're inhabiting right now. Um, to your point, Jennifer, about that the what is experienced in this film is a lot of what we're experiencing as a society right now. Um, which holds a lot of uh, a lot of pain, a lot of loss, um, but also there has been a lot of joy, a lot of things to celebrate. Um, but it doesn't lean too hard into either. Like 
Um, Fern finds community. She finds connection. She connects with the beauty of nature. Uh, and at the same time, the movie never lets you forget that in many ways, this was not a choice for her or that it was a choice that came out of out of trauma, not out of some uh, intellectual desire to um, take on a new lifestyle. Uh, and so that that threading that needle is so difficult because this this film could have really fallen into a lot of traps or been really heavy handed um, with any, any aspect of that, but it just, it just really floats through all of it in a beautiful way and, and allows, allows you to experience it through Fern in a way that is really, really authentic. Yeah. It would have been so easy for any of the, the characters to become a caricature and this film by, I don't know, some miracle, manages not to do that. And one of the things that I think is so amazing is that so many of the the people in this film didn't know that Frances McDormand was an actress. And so they were just being them and sh- they thought that she was just one of them. And so I think that adds to that authenticity that we feel that she was able to just blend seamlessly in with them and be welcomed into this community. Um, and that makes it all the more real and um, engaging. And it makes their relationships and those moments they have together, um, specifically like some of the moments between Fern and Linda May and with Swanky, it makes it um, so much more beautiful knowing that that is raw and that is not actors uh, playing those roles and, um, you know, creating these moments of intimacy and friendship together, but that there is so much of that that was real too. And it kind of is interesting on like um, the way that this film is blending this hybrid like real life storytelling but also filmmaking like all of those interesting components being woven together and blurring those lines is um really fascinating I think a lot of to your point like why this film works so well is because uh those interactions just felt authentic and I don't and I don't know if Kevin if you've seen Malcolm and Marie but they there's this whole bit around like the word authentic being just like a vague term that we throw around when we don't know how to describe um why something feels so real and um how films like their goal is to get us as the viewers to resonate in some way but I I I don't know what other word to use other than those interactions um felt very human and very real and we're not scripted. Um, and I can't really put my finger on why that is other than uh, learning some of these details about these char- these people playing themselves and that they aren't characters. It just, it makes sense if it's in the puzzle. Yeah. I haven't seen Malcolm and Marie, but um, I, I obviously agree with what you're saying. Um, I think part of it is you know, what you're saying that it was unscripted and also feels very unedited um, during the the parts of the film where um, the real life nomads are telling their story. Uh, you, you hear them kind of trip over their words uh, and that isn't taken out and it's not reshot. You know, they'll stutter and say the wrong word, correct themselves and get back into it. Um, I think a a worse approach to this film would try to get them to deliver those monologues in a really perfected way. Um, but this doesn't do that. Uh, I also think the setup uh, really, really helps it uh, in that Frances McDormand's character is new to this lifestyle. You know, we see her sort of starting out. And so her her character's curiosity about these people and this lifestyle uh, matches Frances McDormand's as an actress, uh, and so obviously they are Frances McDormand and this character are very different in many ways. But what they are bringing to those conversations uh, is similar enough that it it almost feels like in those moments that 
Uh, we're watching a documentary starring Francis McDormand learning and trying to empathize with the lives of these people. Uh, but it's built around this story where she's in fact playing the character who is newly immersing herself into it. So there's just a, there's a synthesis with what's happening on screen uh, and sort of behind the screen. I also think like the film giving space for those stories is also part of it. Cause like when you're around a campfire with people, like that's what you do. You share stories, you talk about your life. Um, so like it even just like gave me flashbacks of times when I would be around the campfire and we would just be sharing like how we got here and what we were going through. And I also love that the film doesn't shy away from like the awkward pauses in conversations and it also doesn't try and put that Hollywood polish on it like you were saying Kevin like even the the subject matter you know everybody was grieving something everybody had lost someone and the film isn't afraid to go yep this is real life and we're gonna look at it as it is instead of trying to make it pristine or perfect um, we're gonna see the the beauty in the pain. And I think that that is just so wonderful. And like you both mentioned, like this is the type of film that we need, um, especially for the season that we currently find ourselves in. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I was struck by the way that this film was somehow able to hold together so many different emotions and it, it, tones to like our our lives um there's obviously this like melancholy tone kind of throughout the film but there are moments that lean into like just simple moments of joy and uh Kevin I think you mentioned like some of the subtle uh moments of comedy and and laughter that does happen in small little vignettes throughout this film like some of the moments where Fern is at the uh, the zoo with Dave and they're joking around about the, the alligator and like there's these kind of explosions of joy that come out of Loved Field and then immediately are cut to, um, you know, like the mundane, tedious parts of surviving, taking care of the van, um, being at the, you know, Amazon warehouse and the loneliness and emptiness. And the film isn't interested in kind of giving us smooth transitions between them. Um, they are all just kind of woven together in this collage that is life. And a lot of that really feels accurate to the way that I think we as human beings experience life um, outside of the movie realms, which is that it's just this like back and forth combination swinging between all these different emotions that we experience in little moments and, um, that is so unique and refreshing to see in a film uh, where, you know, in the movie world, things are a little bit more, tend to be more clean cut. There's a specific direction. We feel like we are driving towards some event that is going to unfold. And this film is not interested in any of that. And that was really neat. Just how layered all of these like moments and feelings are together. Absolutely. And I think where this movie really, um, really got me invested and really feeling um, so connected to it was all of the little choices that they made to not make Fern heroic or, or bring a resolution to her story. Um, there were all of these opportunities throughout the movie where they could have done that even something like right at the very beginning when you know there's the dog who's left um yeah I, yeah i immediately and the audience is primed to be like oh my gosh she's gonna adopt this dog and this dog is gonna teach her how to love again and this is gonna be you know <laughs> it's gonna be this very typical story and she just says you know nope and, and she walks away and she thinks about it again, but she still walks away. And so it sort of sets you up early. Like this is not that kind of movie. Um, and then, you know, when she meets David halfway through, you start to think like, oh, she's going to find love again. 
Um, and that obviously does not happen uh, in a very, in a linear kind of way at all. And then when she's uh, invited to live with his family, you, you also think that that could happen again, uh, that, oh, this is the closure. She's slowly being, uh, you know, loved into the normal world again, and she's finally going to accept it, and she doesn't. Um, and that, to me, was such a, a beautiful choice, a real-to-life uh, series of choices that the movie makes um, that really make it special and, and unique and so unlike anything we've seen in this genre. Yeah, that that moment when she didn't take the dog, I think that was the moment too where I was like, yeah, I'm in this. I'm in this movie because I was so nervous that she was going to take it. I was going through like the list of, okay, here are all the extra things that you need to do to care for a dog. A dog is not conducive to your van. Like this doesn't work. So I was so <laughs> pleased that she didn't take the dog. And you're right. Like that was the moment that I was like, yes, I am in this movie. This is going to be great and it's it's all about those little decisions and this movie made really like all the right choices it could have been so um conventional it also could have been like super preachy it could have been you know like overt in um stances on things but instead it was just like nope we are just going to be in this woman's life and she is just like you and me and just trying to do the best she can. And that is a difficult thing to do. And I'm not sure that I've seen a movie quite like this who was able, that was able to like thread the needle as well as this one did. Can I confess that I kind of wanted her to take the dog? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and not, yeah. not because it would have been a better movie because it definitely would not have been. Um, <laughs> And I'm, so, I'm so glad she didn't take the dog. But in that moment, you know, in 2021, I was like, oh, my gosh, I would love to watch this movie where Frances McDormand, like, acts opposite this cute dog. <laughs> Again, like, I'm, I would be still here for that movie. And I'm glad it was not this movie. But maybe maybe somebody can give me that movie. Um, yeah, maybe that'll be like the next project is like Francis McDormand befriends this dog and goes on a road trip throughout the country. Uh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing because there's, uh, you know, there's times where you want to watch this real movie. And there's also times where you want to watch, you know, a cute dog teach someone how to love again. Absolutely. <laughs> I <love it. laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, in terms of where I really connected to this movie as someone who works in homeless services, um, I think that the way that the movie portrays how Fern makes a choice, but the choice comes out of uh, comes out of trauma uh, and and really everyone that tells their story uh, who lives this nomad lifestyle uh, it usually begins with with a traumatic experience uh, even the the guy who makes the YouTube videos and leads the the group in the Arizona desert you know he has one of one of the saddest stories uh, in the entire movie uh, and I think connecting with that, knowing that, you know, we are in this system, um, especially coming out of COVID, where a lot of people are going to be experiencing a lot of financial hardship uh, and knowing that the American dream of, you know, owning a home with a, a yard and a white picket fence is becoming increasingly unattainable for people. Um, to see this group of people sort of taking charge of their own displacement, like I said in my one-sentence summary, uh, 
is really beautiful. And also it's so frustrating and sad that, uh, that they have to, uh, that, um, there are so few options that this, uh, this is one of the only, and one of the increasing ways to live within the, the world that we've created. Um, and thinking about, you know, the people I work with, uh, in Los Angeles who, uh, who sleep outside there, uh, there really is this same sense of the opportunity to um, find beauty, find community, uh, but also kind of a, a reckoning that the system and the dream of the system uh, is not attainable and whatever um, most most of them are going to have to settle for something uh, less than that. Uh, and try to make the best of it. Uh, and mixed in with all that, where I really connected with uh, Fern was in the choices that she makes to uh, sleep in her van, even though she has a bed and a room to sleep in. Um, there have been times where we've moved people off the streets and into housing where actually once they get into their apartment, uh, they will bring in their tent and set up their tent in the middle of their apartment uh, because that transition uh, is so scary uh, and new uh, that there's just a, an innate desire to find what is comfortable and, and normal within that, that sense of newness. Uh, and then also when Fern ultimately decides to, to reject the opportunity to to live there long term uh, is something that we see often too. Um, that the the opportunities that we create for people are um, are so steeped in something that they're they're not ready for that they have rejected or or had to reject because of uh, the trauma that either led to their uh, experience of homelessness or trauma that they endured while they were experiencing homelessness, that the, the sense of normalcy almost, um, feels like something of the past. Um, yeah, that's, that's where this movie really, uh, hit me in my, my experience and all of my, um, understanding of kind of the wider system of displacement in our society and all of the different ways that people end up um, as a result of it. Yeah, I thought that moment when she chose to sleep in her van, like, again, like, that was such a a good detail, you know, for for those of us who have never found ourselves in that situation or haven't been exposed to this homeless population before, we probably think, like, oh, she has a bed you know, that's like a victory. Like she should be happy because she has a real bed. But, you know, I, I love that the film, uh, like we spend so much time with her in her van, in Vanguard, which is a great name, um, so that we we are more able to understand um, why she seeks refuge and comfort in her van instead of this this other home that she doesn't know that in this life that is not her own. So even that choice of, nope, I'm going to sleep in my van, that choosing of I have agency and this is what I feel comfortable with. This is my home. I don't know. That was just so, so sweet. And I love that it's this um, op opposing message to the American dream without, again, like without being so like preachy about it. Um, it was just, it's so, it's such a small moment, but it's so important in the scope of the film. Yeah. And I, I just really hope that people watch this with kind of a wider scope of um, homelessness in mind, because what, what I saw in those moments of her choosing, you know, having the option of you know, a, a traditional lifestyle or a bed to sleep in and she chooses something else. Um, 
it just it reminds me of how often when we are attempting to provide homeless services or solutions, we don't take the time to address, um, you know, individual agency, uh, trauma, past experience. Um, in Los Angeles right now, there's a big, a big argument happening um, on the city council level about what to do uh, and whether or not we can force people to accept shelter, uh, how much shelter we need to build before we can start criminalizing uh, people sleeping outside. Uh, and it's just such a, a misguided debate because the nuances of, you know, do people actually want to live in these shelters that you're building? Are they preferable to sleeping outside? Do they do they provide the same freedom uh, that people have sleeping outside while also providing the basic resources? What are people trading uh, in terms of community, autonomy, agency uh, in order to get, you know, three hots and a cot, as they say? Um those are the conversations that aren't being had and that this this movie really lives in in a really beautiful way um yeah i just i really hope that people see this movie and think about uh how much individual agency and community and joy needs to factor into how we make these decisions about what we mandate and what we provide for for people who are unhoused i also like that that term that you just use unhoused like that that's so good like even fern says it in the movie like she's not homeless she's just houseless and so i think even that that shifting in our language um is kind of important when we're talking about subjects like this like a movie like this and a conversation like this definitely makes me think of, you know, the unhoused in a in a very different way than I have before. And you see some of those moments too, especially in the beginning of the film, and also when she goes and visits her sister. Um, you know, she has that like interaction with the woman at the store with her two daughters, and there's kind of this just assumption that the solution or the gap that's needed to be filled for her is to provide her a place to stay. I think like a lot of the different people she encounters outside of the um, nomad community are all either like subtly hinting or very blatantly um, offering that and suggesting that to her. And especially in that uh, moment at the beginning of the film at the store with the woman and her two daughters, there's just this like, undertone of of condescension but also coming from a place of like trying to be helpful and I'm curious um what your guys thoughts were around some of those scenes yeah I really I felt for everyone in those scenes <laughs> um I really I felt that that feeling of condescension uh, for Fern's character. And I also just felt the like awkwardness and the anxiety around those who were trying to offer some kind of help. I mean, obviously the scenes later with the sister uh, carry a lot more kind of judgment and condescension and I feel less uh, empathy for that. But the one in the store at the beginning, I just, I really just wanted to like... <laughs> I wanted to hug everyone in that scene because there was so much <laughs> tension and feeling beneath mm-hmm. surface. Um, and Sarah, to your point, that that distinction in language when um, the daughter says, I heard that you were homeless uh, and she changes the word to houseless. Um, like really those, at an etymological level, those mean the same thing, but the term homeless has been used for so long and has all of this baggage and weight to it that the shift in the word uh, is less about the definition and more of like what we bring to it. Because when you say homeless, you 
we all conjure this image of, you know, a certain type of person or a certain type of community that, um, that no longer describes the the community of people who experience homelessness, especially after the, the economic recession that uh, really is the, the instigation for this story and Fern's story. Uh, so yeah, I loved, I loved that language shift and, and that's what, what those of us who work in homeless services are trying to do a similar shift, not because one word is necessarily uh, offensive or means something different, but because it changes uh, what we bring into the conversation. And I, I love that this film does so much, and it, again, it, like it's subtle, but it does so much to um, go against some of the, the stigmas about homelessness. Um, I, you know, Fern is, um, she's, she's educated. She's had all of these jobs and she's done all of these things. Like she's not, you know, the caricature of, of homelessness, which is not an accurate representation at all. And so I just love how much you're able to see in the lives of these people. And like throughout the movie, I just kept thinking about like priorities and, these people just have a different set of priorities than I do. And that's okay. You know, they're just working through their lives and, and going after different things than I am. And there's not really anything wrong with that. Um, So it was just, it was fun to see such a different perspective um, and just, I don't know, develop more empathy for, a group of people that has largely been misunderstood. Yeah. And I kept thinking as I was reflecting on this movie of another movie from this year that um, isn't exactly trying to do the same thing, but kind of is similar. And that's uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, Ugh, the worst. Yes. Which, oh my gosh. Which really is such the Hollywood version of, of so much of this that, like, that's the movie that this movie could have been with, like, these really dramatic monologues and these caricatures and real, like, misrepresentation um, where no one in that film film feels real at all. Um, but it, like, really goes for the big moments and the heartstrings. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent that, uh, this movie just made all the right choices, as you said, Sarah, to, uh, to be, to be real, to be authentic and to present, um, a group of people in a really empathetic way. And, And one of the main ways it accomplishes that is by showing them a majority of the time being happy. Um, and I think that was just such a beautiful choice to, um, to guide this movie is that, you know, there's really difficult moments and, and there's tragedy and the moments where you wonder how Fern is going to, you know, afford the repairs that she needs on her place of living. There's a desperation there, but the, the whole movie doesn't live in, in despair uh, it lives in, um, it's, it's more often joyful and beautiful than it is, um, desperate or, or condescending toward the people who live this lifestyle. And I, I appreciated that there was even kind of like variations, um, in it. Uh, I, I really liked the, um, the, the younger group that, that we meet and it's, they share like very, very few scenes. We see them very briefly, but um, these young people who are just kind of choosing this life and just trying to like figure things out, like it, it reminded me of people that I met when I was living in Northern Arizona and there was a whole little troop and they lived a nomadic lifestyle and they had their bicycles and they would just travel to a city then they'd work there for a little while. And then when they wanted to go, they'd just go to another city. And like the, those guys in this movie, they just felt so real to me. They reminded me of that little group that I met. So 
it's so easy to think of, you know, the the homeless population as just this one block of people and they they're all the same they all need the same things they're all motivated by the same things when that's not true they're just as you know varied and unique and eclectic as the rest of us so even in that 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 nuance and that opportunity for understanding was just so wonderful yeah and i loved that uh there was just like this uh sort of intergenerational uh empathy between them like i so many of these scenes set you up to think that you're about to watch one thing and then you end up watching something else and and in that scene i thought like oh she's gonna go over to them kind of trying to be the nice uh representation of this older group and there's going to be some sort of like awkwardness or conflict or disconnect between how she relates to this younger group and there just wasn't there was like there was an immediate synthesis an immediate like mutual generosity and sharing uh and that's where this movie without being preachy at all sort of maybe suggests that when you strip away a lot of you know the the american dream or or myths that there's an opportunity or a, a gift there of the type of community or connection that that is what we're really all longing for. Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot in the scenes where you know they were sitting around the fire telling stories, um, or even in just like those small moments of friendship that Fern um, encounters with the various people and the. First, the, the the way that they were able to be um, so open and I think, Kevin, as you mentioned, generous with each other and open-hearted and how they um, shared their lives together um, was really striking. And I think there's a lot of moments and scenes in this movie where um, someone is leaving or departing. And uh, I think, I forget which character, but they, they mention like... Um, there's always this sense that, you know, our paths cross for these maybe few moments and uh, it's never goodbye, but it's, I'll see you down the road. And uh, I felt that a lot throughout this, this film, the, the way that they held companionship and relationships um, and valued them as, as truly precious. It was just a, such a contrast to a lot of the other conversations um that I see often on the internet these days. And um, I work in for a tech company and there's a lot of conversations around like this rise of like empty connections or a false sense of human connection that happens through screens and through social media and whatnot. That's not always the case, but um, and it's, it was just such a contrast to this film where those relationships and companionships were um, not frequent or abundant, but they were so uh, strong and um, of such quality when they they were able to spend time together and um, talk and just share their lives together. And it was just it, it was interesting to see some of those contrasts to the things that um, you know in our modern world on the um, in this technology ridden civilization that. Uh, is missing all of that like preciousness for human relationship and connection. Yeah. There's, there's an interdependence um, whether they're eating meals together or whether, you know, Fern has to bother one of her neighbors who really does not want to be bothered uh, because uh, she doesn't have a spare tire. Um, and, and also the, the lecture that she gets by, by that friend for not having a spare tire, uh, because there's this sort of, uh, looming sense of danger if she is ever completely alone. Um, and the nomad lifestyle feels like sort of a people who want to, in many ways, isolate, but together. Um, so they're, uh, almost experiencing the reverse of what you're describing with technology that, um, 
you know, is people who are longing for a connection, but actually experiencing a lot of isolation. Um, these people are sort of like looking for isolation, but experiencing community uh, of kind of like-minded people who, who take care of each other, but also respect each other's privacy and boundaries. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I like the way that you succinctly said that. Yeah, it's very accurate. It's almost this reverse of what we are, what we have with technology uh, is creating barriers to what we truly desire, which is like true connection um, and relationship with people. And I just, I loved that that was just the common thread. And then you would see these, you know, you'd spend time with the characters and then Fern would be with a different group and then somebody from her past would, would pop up again. And so it's, it's this, um, I don't know, the, the continuity of community is, was just kind of a fun element of this, uh, all throughout. They didn't have to be with each other all the time. Um, but when they came back together, uh, just those sweet moments of, connection and joy and healing were were so sweet yeah a really quiet moment that I just I loved and I can't stop thinking about is when it's pretty early in the movie uh, after Fern arrives in the desert um, she's walking through and it's a long shot where you see just how big this uh, community in the desert is and she's walking past a group that's around the fire uh, and they wave her over and say, come, come join us, please. They're being so welcoming. And she just says, uh, I wish I could remember the exact line, but she says something like, no, I'm just, I'm on a walk right now. Uh, and there's just a respect of that. <laughs> you know, there's a no like pressure, peer pressure to socialize. Um, she knows what she needs uh, surrounded by all these people that are her safety net and her community, but she also just wants to be, you know, alone and enjoy it. Uh, but she also has the invitation whenever she wants to, to join the community. Um, as a, as an introvert myself, I was like, Oh man, I, I would love to be amongst people <laughs> who, who, you know, who set, who set the invitation to always, you know, whenever you're ready, here's the community, but also no judgment, go walk by yourself, go uh, hang out in your, in your van by yourself for a few hours and come join us when you're ready. Like that, that just really resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's an introvert's dream, really. Like, that's great. You have the option, but you're not forced to take it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, again, it's those little details that just carry so much meaning when you're when you put yourself in the story like that. That's such a small thing, but it means so, so much. I don't want to unnecessarily transition us, but uh, I can't stop. feel free. I, I just I can't stop thinking about how this movie exists and. Chloe Zhao is probably going to win Best Director. This might win Best Picture. And her next movie is a Marvel film. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, and it's not just any Marvel film. It's the Eternals, which is about these like celestial godlike beings who control the universe. <laughs> like like my, my first question is, I wonder what, what non-actors are in the movie playing themselves. Uh, <laughs> yes that would be amazing uh but also just yeah how how her auteur sensibility is going to come through <laughs> in that film or not and and i'm someone who really likes the the mcu uh and the marvel movies while yeah i'm the rare bird that also likes a movie like nomadland and uh avengers um, but I'm I'm so excited to see what wins out, if there is a balance, if, yeah, I, just, I have so many questions. I also want to know what movie she's going to make after that one. Is that the movie she's going to make to earn the money she needs to fund the next artsy-fartsy 
potentially not mass appeal type of movie and what the next one after it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you hope that these, you know, big franchises can provide is the uh I was just reading an article about the the Russo brothers who uh you know, they did the last two Avengers movies and the last two Captain America movies and since then they've been producing and directing not quite indie movies but um less tentpole type movies and they they say that because of avengers instead of a a one for you a one for me one for them policy that it's like a one for them 10 for me <laughs> because <of how> money <laughs> they get to make on, on these marvel movies so hopefully mm-hmm. one eternals movie means you know maybe six or seven yeah type movies yeah. i'm here for that yeah which you you just you'd love to see that was it Guy Ritchie that did the Disney live action Aladdin and then soon after released The Gentleman? Yeah. <laughs> Where you're like, hmm, logically that makes sense. I see how that played out in succession. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Barry Jenkins is doing a Lion King movie for for Disney. Oh, another one? Yeah, there, it's it's really unclear, um, but it was announced like six months ago. They're calling it a sequel. Um, oh, gosh. But yeah, it's very, the way that Barry Jenkins described it as uh, he talked about how it's going to be a movie about the African diaspora. Uh, it was, I read it and was like, okay, I, I will watch that movie. And also please give Barry Jenkins that Lion King money so that he can <laughs> make <laughs> yeah. 10 more Moonlights and if Beale Street could talk. And mm-hmm. uh, same with Ava DuVernay doing, uh, oh gosh, I, I'm blanking, the Madeline, the Wrinkle in Time. Uh, mm. You just, you love that that probably had a lot to do with her being able to make the Netflix series when they see us, you know? Uh, mm. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it, and I also happen to end up liking most of those Temple movies too. So <laughs> it's a win-win. Yeah, it's a big win for me. Um, yeah, I I um, haven't seen some of Chloe Zhao's previous films, like The Writer, and I'm now very intrigued to watch her previous work after seeing Nomadland. So I'm curious: Have either of you watched um, some of her previous work? I, I think there's only a few films that she's created thus far, but I mean, I'm intrigued and I think she's, she's going to be someone to watch and to, to continue to get excited about for the new things that she creates. Cause she clearly has such a uh, instinct and sensibility for all, as you, as we've already talked about so far, all of these little details and, just how nuanced she is able to be in conveying human emotion and experiences is incredible. So um, I'm intrigued. Have you seen her previous work? How does it, um, does it feel in the same uh, realm and uh, tone and, and uh, those instincts that this director has with her, with No Man Land? I have not seen them, but I do know that the writer uses similarly uses a lot of um, non-actors in it, just like Nomadland does. I haven't seen her other work either, but I'm noticing because I'm stalking her IMDb page right now um, that her her other films thus far have been written and directed by her. And so the Eternals is going to be very different because there she did work on the screenplay, but there are others involved as well. So I'm I'm really curious how this is going to work because not all great like filmmakers work well in a franchise like the MCU, and I I hope that that doesn't happen to her. But I think this will be a very different experience because she she doesn't have as much control as she's had uh with some of these other films so that'll be one to watch for sure Uh, i wondered if i could share with you all something that i found um on letterboxd i don't know if you all use letterboxd 
I do. I use it to track films, but I don't read uh, the reviews on Letterboxd, which I know is one of its capabilities. But yes, I'm intrigued. Yeah, they they produce articles uh, and, and really interesting content too. Um, and something that they did was they assembled uh, a list of the favorite films of some of the real life nomads from this movie. Um, they asked oh, what wow. their favorite movies are. Uh, and the list that they came up with is just, it's perfect and amazing. So the first one you would easily guess is Into the Wild. Um, then they have Dances with Wolves, uh, Goodwill Hunting, a movie called Leaving Normal that I haven't seen, but I can guess what it's about. The title alone, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lincoln, uh, The Abyss, You've Got Mail, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is, that makes a lot of sense too. Uh, the Color Purple, Schindler's List, and then Argo, which I have to think, I have to think that this uh, that they were influenced by having spent time with Frances McDormand and knowing that she won Best Actress for the first time with Fargo, that they went back and watched it and appreciated it, and it became one of their favorite movies. But that this list just makes me happy to think about. Um, the type of movies that they resonate with some of them being ones that, that I do and others that I don't connect with at all. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a full spectrum. It really <laughs> is. And like a lot of them are those like when back when like TV was a thing, like it would just be on, you know, like you got mail, like, yeah, it's always playing on some channel somewhere. So I, that's so interesting, that selection of movies. Like so many of them, even if they don't necessarily like resonate, um, I'm sure many of us have seen at least once, if not more than once, because they're just kind of in the culture and just kind of in the atmosphere. Uh, wow, that is a super eclectic list, but it also kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's a lot of zeitgeist type movies. The one that really stands <laughs> yeah. out, though, that I just I have so many questions about is The Abyss, because uh, that's a yeah. movie I've not seen it actually. It's the only James Cameron movie that I've never seen. Uh, but I'm not alone in that. A lot of people have not seen that movie. They didn't see it when it came out. It lost a lot of money, and it's really hard to find streaming. Um, almost impossible, actually. So I'm. I'm so curious why that that one jumps out to these folks. So maybe we can have like uh, a follow up to Nomadland and we just go and we find these people and we ask them about their their movie choices. It'll be great. You guys can just review (laughs) these movies through the lens of Nomadland. (laughs) There we go. Plus Francis McDormand and Dog. Yes, absolutely. Intercut, yes. <laughs> I love that they chose Fargo, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, Frances McDormand has got a couple be- best actresses, but I can see why they would connect with Fargo more than uh, three billboards. <laughs> yes. Kind of re- switching gears a little bit, but kind of related. When I Google this film, on the Google card that shows up on the right-hand side, it categorizes this film as a Western, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, I think in general, right now in movie making, like a lot of directors are just kind of like saying to hell with all these like genre um, uh, stereotypes and whatnot. But it is fascinating to see the attempts of like, um, whether it's humans or algorithms, trying to put movies into certain genres and categories um and they've chosen western for nomadland which in some ways makes sense to me and others i'm like well i I don't really know so just you know the idea of genre and how constrained those buckets are um was just an interesting thought exercise it it certainly takes place in the west (laughs) 
Like that's about. Yeah, that's the closest. I was like, okay, so there's some expansive like shots, yes, but <laughs> other than that, yeah, in categories for the western. And definitely, you know, we just got through the Golden Globes, which are notoriously weird uh, about genre because they have two different film classifications. You, something is either a drama or it's a musical slash comedy. <laughs> and the things that get put in those categories each year are just increasingly absurd. Um, the one that jumps out is a few years ago, they classified The Martian as a comedy slash musical. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, this it's it's so genres are absurd at this point, like you said. Like they're they're helpful, and a lot of films fall into them. But uh, it's great when a film tries to push push a genre or play with it. But it, when the, when you only narrow it down to two, and one of them is a combination of two, things get really dicey really quick. Well, and the funny thing is uh, on Google as well, um, the movie First Cow, which came out in 2019, is also classified as a Western because it happens in the West, but it's not actually a Western. So, yeah, we we need to help with some of these genres. But I think, you know, we have overly broad genres on one end of the spectrum. And then we have like Netflix genres on the other where it's like uber specific and not actually helpful so (laughs) we need like somewhere in the middle where it's a helpful classification without being too too specific about things yes strong female lead black history month taking place at in yeah iowa (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's too much we don't need all that (laughs) okay were there any last thoughts shout outs mentions about Nomadland before we wrap up uh just uh pulling for this for best picture not even because I'm sure it's going to be the best uh or my favorite film in this uh time period but uh because I want to be the person on your podcast that reviewed the last two best picture movies <laughs> yes oh <laughs> uh, yeah that's, that's so amazing <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I'm I'm here for it. That'd be great. And then this will just become like a game, though. Like you're gonna have to keep up your streak if if it mm-hmm. happens, and just we'll have to get really good at predicting best picture and just have you on for those movies. As long as I don't have to go back and review um, Green Book, <laughs> I'm good. Oh, mm-mm. we won't nope. put you through that nope. torture. I haven't no. even watched it and do not intend to. Oh, it's horrible. Don't oh. do it. Good to know. I mean, I feel like I knew that, but thank you. Yeah, no, Green Book is one of my soapboxes that I'm not going to get on. Um, But I would uh, like to just say that Nomadland reminded me um, about how how much I miss uh, Arizona sunsets. They are so beautiful. And like, I don't miss much from my home state, but I definitely missed that so it was just nice for a little while to to go back and just see how beautiful it is uh so that was lovely i i'm also from arizona and can uh attest to that that when the weather is not absolutely trying to murder you there are the small (laughs) small pockets of beauty like when it's about to rain in Arizona, the oh, yes, the, the feeling of that air. There's nothing like it, and yes, an Arizona mm-hmm. sunset is one of the greatest things in the world. All right, my uh, last little shout out is for the soundtrack of this film. This, I think, this movie would just be a very different movie without the soundtrack, and just how much the music contributes to all of the things we have talked about. The the nuances and the many layers of um, human experiences to just the soundtrack is so perfect for this movie and for the mood in each scene. So man, big shout out for it. 
and how they they used um, the soundtrack and then they used silence so strategically as well. Like, oh my gosh, I feel like silence and the music were two characters in this film and they, you know, made their entrances and exits at exactly the right time uh, to help you really be immersed in the story and then focus on something when it needed your attention. Very true. And giving us the time and space to just sit in the silence or the emptiness or the mundaneness of a moment. Yes. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. So this was our review and discussion of the film Nomadland. You can find it available on Hulu if you're subscribed to Hulu to stream and watch this film. We highly, highly recommend experiencing all that this film is and just getting to go on this journey uh, with this woman is, it is so, so beautiful and so valuable. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. And a big thank you to you, Kevin, for sharing all of your thoughts and perspectives on Nomadland was fantastic to get to hear specifically your um, views of the different ways this film has chosen to make decisions on how it conveys different scenes. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So, so grateful to have been invited uh, to talk about a movie that intersects with, uh, with all of that. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And Kevin, where can listeners connect more with you and um, follow more of your work on the internet? Absolutely. Um, my website is kevinmnye.com. Um, I'm primarily on Twitter uh, at kevinmnye1. Um, so if you follow that account, that's where I'm mostly talking about homelessness. Uh I talk about movies at, uh, on Twitter at Theophany Films, um, but I'm always talking about both on both. So if you find one, you'll, you'll get the rest. Nice. Awesome. And we will include links to all of those in the show notes as well. All right. Well, this podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection, and it's something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your days. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Let us know uh, your thoughts on Nomadland and today's episode by dropping us a review. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can always email us your thoughts at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Cherry featuring Tom Holland. And uh, we hope you guys have an amazing week and we will see you all very soon. Thank you.